we are so behind in surgery and trying to maintain the status quo and the old boys regime. That's why this was written to say, you need to fit within this mold. And I think at this point, we don't need to change people. We need to change the structure. People aren't broken. The structure, the institution is broken. Welcome to The Medical Matrix. I'm your host, Dr. Rosie Sender. Today, we're actually going to take a little bit of a departure from the usual conversations we have here. And we're going to talk a little bit about some of the social media challenges that we saw on platforms like Instagram and Twitter. And to help us do that today, I've got two very incredible women, two other orthopedic surgeons who will help us discuss the recent social media movements and, and thoughts behind them. We have my recurring uh, guest host, <laughs> Dr. Uh, Erica Fisk, and then Dr. Shana Lipa. So uh, do you want to both introduce yourselves? We can start off with you, Erica. So I have worked with Rosie and I actually came across Shana when we were both at Harvard University. She was in the combined uh, residency program there and I was a foot and ankle fellow at the Brigham and Women's Hospital. And she was, was such a fantastic and amazing resident. And we had a lot of fun together. And she's one of the people that I absolutely immediately thought of when you brought up this topic, when we had this whole med bikini vascular surgery conversation, yeah. which we'll, we'll get to. But it's one of the people I just thought of because one of the wonderful things about Harvard is that it is so diverse and it's so fun to be involved in a residency kind of community that has so much to offer on various levels. So I thought of Shane immediately. I follow her on Instagram and I, I uh, see the things she talks about. And that's why I thought of you for this. And Shane is doing her spine uh, fellowship in New York. I will let you do a little introduction for yourself here. Yeah, thank you both for having me. I appreciate just being able to be a part of a conversation with two women that are orthopedic surgeons and that I obviously look up to for various reasons. And I think that they're very important topics also to talk to and discuss and for us to have a voice and a seat at the table. So thank you for having me. As mentioned, I actually am from California originally, and I spent most of my training there until I went to Harvard for residency. And then I met Erica and probably on a dance floor somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it was certainly, certainly on a dance floor. At, at some point, there was a dance floor involved. That's there was a dance was. floor, whether it was in or out of the OR. There were no there. pictures. There were no pictures of us dancing. Those. <laughs> a much easier time. <laughs> exactly. A much easier time when dance floors were open all over. So we met and we definitely all hit it off and it was a fun crew to be around. Like you said, that was the point of being in a place like that where you see so many people, whether it's gender or race and ethnicity and different things. So that was great. And now here we are. And I'm at NYU for my spine fellowship. I actually live across the hospital, which is why I looked across. <laughs> Do you see any helicopters <laughs> Yeah, coming? it's only one year fellowship. You got to look close. But yeah, so here I am and I'm happy to be here. Yeah, no, thank you. No. I hear that. I did my fellowship at Stanford and we couldn't be more than like 10 or 15 minutes away because we did replants too. And so it's like, literally, you had to be there yesterday. <laughs> so See, there's a problem is that foot and ankle is not like that. There are very few foot and ankle emergencies. You guys both failed in that. So this exactly. is a career choice. You get no kudos or sympathy. <laughs> Actually, the real career choice, I think, is sports, but like, whatever, we won't, we won't go there. <laughs> I thought about that one for a while oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> only for people like Lusu 
I know, yeah. Really soft, soft personalities. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I guess we can get into the episode. So the basically, there were three back-to-back challenges that I, I think really took over social media for, I think, even just over a month period. It just seemed week after week, there was something a little bit different. And the main ones, it was Black Lives Matter, it was Med Bikini, and Women's Empowerment. I had several conversations with Eric about this and with other people, and it was an interesting time to look at this whole concept of this social media activism. Sometimes I wondered, is is this a real thing that actually brings issues to the forefront and is educational, or is it a construct we've created to feel better about ourselves or that we are part of something bigger or doing something about it? And I, I was like really wrestling with both things. I ended up participating in them, but I just sometimes I wondered whether was this moving the needle in any way. And I think a good place to start would be Black Lives Matter movement. And I'm going to hand it over to Shana because we would really love to hear your perspective as an African-American woman. And I guess the biggest question is, do you feel it was valuable and it moved the needle in any productive way or not? I agree with you in a sense that I think I've thought about that. And I think it somewhat is a mixed bag in a sense that it it definitely raised awareness. I think that as someone who's interested in policy, like there's the talk about the policy window. And I think that these things that we've been talking about in the Black Lives Matter movement have been going on for a long time. It's just that there was a captive audience and it was there was somehow a prime time because there was a pandemic, unfortunately, and everyone was at home. And then there was a video that was circulated and everyone was paying attention because maybe no one had anything else to do. So in a sense, like, and hit that window with the movement and with everything going on. And so I think is that was valuable in terms of raising awareness, but I do think a lot there were some performative actions in a sense, right? Like some of this is like how much are we really doing versus how much is performance? And I think that we've seen a lot of it has died down, even though like the issues are still there. But a lot of the things, obviously, the protests can't last forever. But even the awareness has died down, and the activists that are still involved and activists that have been involved are still involved. So I think there is a part of it that is performative and that we have to think about when moving forward. But I find that some of that problematic, specifically with institutions. The one thing about this is this is not individual people problem. This is an institutional problem. And racism is an institutional problem, sexism, all these things. These are structural in our society. I obviously find an issue with people themselves being performative, but with institutions, because then you're actually not making change. And I think I'm happy that the hospitals participated in the kneelings and different things, but we needed to call to action. What exactly are we going to change? What does your faculty percentage look like in terms of diversity? What do your residents look like? What does the medical school look like if we're just talking about in medicine? But those are the things that we really need to think about because these are really institutional problems more than they're individual problems. Even with the police force, et cetera, it's not just one bad police officer. It's a whole institutionalized structural racism that's causing this over years and years. That's one of the things that, again, drew drew me to you because it's not just like the perception of change. You have these people getting on the social media platform and everybody posts a black square for the Instagram with the George Floyd incident. So we having all this perception of change, but like, just like you say, this whole call to action, what is actually being changed? Oh, you check this box. Oh, I performed my duty today to bring awareness. But ultimately, where does that get you to in a real way? Yeah, I think this is very important points because I think that like I said, it is raising awareness. I think that the one, like on the positive side, the thing that I see is people do feel more empowered, even 
at the most basic level, like the professional athletes are like very much taking a stance and pushing their institutions, which whatever league that they're in, to make some changes. And how much is it going to change and how much is is really actionable? I don't know. But just as far as the NBA itself saying, okay, we're going to change the arenas into voting places, that does have some impact. So I think that in a sense, people have been empowered, but look at it with cautious optimism, because I think that maybe more people have gotten a voice and are able to do that. But I would think we really do need actionable items. And like I said, part of it is some of these institutions saying we're going to hire more diverse faculty, obviously. But then there's Wells Fargo, who we just saw that said that I saw that, that there is there. Yeah. yeah, the Wells Fargo was like, we're trying to hire a diverse what, candidates or whatever. We're trying to look at diverse candidates, but there aren't any available, which is just not true. So yeah, it's like, I was just about to mention that it was the Wells Fargo CEO. I saw that today. There's yeah. not enough black talent in the pool. I'm like, are you kidding me? That's a very institutionalized perspective. That's just like ridiculous. Anyways. And that's just it. It's, it's one of those things where I think what you said before that there was a captive audience because we had the pandemic. And okay, so now it's in the forefront of people's minds. But when we get back to some sort of sense of normalcy, and I agree with you that you have to have a cautious optimism because how many incidences have there been in the past that have affected people in the Black community? George Floyd was like, I think it's obviously seen by probably more people because of this pandemic. But there's been so many other instances. And it just changed the needle like ever so slightly. And there has to be big changes. I don't want to be a pessimist, but it's more you have to be sort of a realist about it. And really, how do you approach it or have that institutional change? And how does that really happen? What are the strategies? I think even in medicine, this was more of a grassroots movement with the medical students They're starting this White Coats for Black Lives years ago. And then now a lot of institutions started adopting into this. And even at our, when my residency, right before I left, we were saying, what are our actionable items? Like at this time, because we have an ear, we need to call for actionable items and we may not get them all, but some of them we may. And some of them were just like, oh, we need to increase our minority faculty by this much percent. And I don't think it's all about like cultural sensitivity training, but part of it is. I don't think that's the end all be all, but some, we do need to have those things in our institutions. Part of it was when you have a captive audience to actually come up with actionable items that, and you're not going to get all of them, but negotiation is part of this, right? Does it frustrate you to see the hashtag kind of movement on the social media and just be like, these people aren't really going to be doing it? Does that yeah, kind of yeah. piss you off yeah. a little bit? Yeah, you know what it does? Because I remember when I was in Boston, when the Black Lives Matter protests were happening and of course, there are parts of the protests that people were saying that were non-peaceful and riot and riots, whatnot. But in general, I think the protests this time around were viewed more positively. Whereas when we were protesting like five, six years ago, it was like you just were viewed in a very negative light. Like I didn't come to work the next day and tell anybody that I went to the protest. Yeah. These people are like, yeah, I'm going to go protest. I'm going to make sure I take a picture of me walking yeah. so I can post right. it on social media. Yeah. And like, hang on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay. Whereas five or six years ago, if I said I went to a Black Lives Matter protest, they'd be like, oh, you're probably part of the Black Panther Party. It was like a whole Well, Shana, situation. we do know about you, so. <laughs> hey, I did spend some time in Oakland. No, <laughs> I did for a couple of years. But you know what? It was like just very much looked down upon in a different way than it was viewed upon this time. And I'll tell you, actually, I had a friend who contacted me this time around to go to the, one of the protests. And I was like, I actually did have mixed feelings. I was like, we've been doing this work for so long. And now everybody wants to hop on board. I, of course, did go, but I thought that some of it, like I said, was performative. I used that word over and over, but I just didn't like that part of it. 
but I still, yes, I still went. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's what I, I ended up posting because I just, I felt that it was the right thing to do. But then as you were seeing it, I did wonder about that. I'm like, is this going to I be- I got per- posted and then I got, I got reprimanded for not putting the correct hashtag. I'm yeah. like, really? I'm on the same side. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like- and I did post like the Neilans and the Black Lives Matter just to bring awareness to it because I do think that people need to know. But like you said, it just all depends on where your heart is in the matter, honestly. That's the thing. I think it's intention. So if your intention behind it is good, then you should go ahead and do it. But it's interesting that like you're bringing attention to the people that already know, like we already are on board. Yeah. So it's like, how do we get attention to the rest yeah. of the population? But, but even for the people who are very well-meaning and good, it's a hard place to be. And I think sometimes what happens now in this like sort of, I don't know, zeitgeist of the world, everything is looked at with some sort of cynicism too. Even if you're like, say you say something and it's not quite right and somebody comes at you and then you apologize, they might have a more cynical interpretation of apology. Like, oh, you're doing this because you want to save your reputation or save your job. I know. Every, and everything is on social media nowadays. So but it's very hard. And I think there was a good time to spark some conversation. Like I had had some conversation even about like Black Lives Matter, with very conservative co-resident who I was friends with, but he, we just had very different views on things. And he was like, I don't know if I could support the movement because he just associated the movement with the small percentage of the protests were so, that were associated with riots. And I told him, I was like, there's this meme that was going around. It was like, if we judge the protest by their most offensive actors, yet we don't judge the police force by their most offensive actors, like, how is that fair? He's like, I don't like the protests. I support the police. But I'm like, but then we're just as a double standard in a way. I think we all kind of support the police in general. But (laughs) if you have a percentage of bad actors, it's like having a a percentage of bad surgeons. There's no room for that. You you guys have to be good or you have to be sucky and and get rid of it. There should be like a board exam for freaking police officers. You're carrying a gun. (laughs) Seriously, (laughs) like. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, no, I mean, like I said, I support the police force in general, but everyone should understand that there's a history. When you're bad at your job, you get fired. Yeah. Right. (laughs) And it's also that I think that people are just looking at it like, oh, look at these events that are just coming up. No, there's a history of police violence with with minority communities and people of color and unfair treatment and incarceration. You can list it often over time from Emmett Teal to who, to George Floyd, but there's so many others in between and so many others before that. And also, again, it just goes back to what's highlighted by the media too. All of that comes into play as well. If you're going to show a bunch of protests and then the way you narrate the protests versus maybe narrating something about the police force influences people no matter what. There's a science to media as well, like how to influence people and stuff. So fortunately, we've all pigeonholed ourselves into the most like we're all female orthopedic (laughs) minorities. So here we are having a conversation about oppression. (laughs) I will say the side note, one thing about the media, I think there are certainly pros and cons to it. But the one positive I see is that now stories are getting being told and people are being heard that would have never been heard before because obviously before we have the social media and it's blown up over the years like only the stories were told were the ones that whoever the newscasters or whatever decided to tell or the the writers in, in the newspaper but now anything can be out there which is good and bad but the good part about it is like there are people that whose voices that are being heard who haven't been heard in the past so the loudest voices like it seems on the extreme <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get out there. Oh, yeah, that is a hundred percent true. 
Yeah, we're in a very extreme world right now, <laughs> at least in the country, in this country. Did you find that you are using social media in a different way than you did when it started? It's interesting because I honestly, I would find myself early when I first started this, even probably like when I first started residency, maybe like couple, six, five, six years ago, I would try not to touch political topics too much just because. But now, no, I'm, I'm actually like much more open about my political views and where I stand. Do you use it as a platform? I do. Like things that I think are important, like when Black Lives Matter, when for years, the different things that have happened with the Black Lives Matter movement, but also I actually just started a med Twitter. But anyways, that's a whole different story. But like med bikini and different things. And so I actually do use it more as a platform now. I try to, uh, my Instagram, I fluctuate. I like to use it like personally and somewhat, I, I always feel like- I like your pictures all over the South oh, Africa. I follow you, yeah. your, your twin sister, you. your adventures. I like to keep a little bit of personality and personal stuff in my Instagram, but I still feel all through my Instagram, like I'm still woven in health equity and social justice because that's just who I am. But definitely more on my Facebook. Moving a little bit to the next topic, though, is that as you are coming into your fellowship and now you're not under the umbrella of I'm a Harvard resident and now you're going to be your own clinician, you're going to have your name on the door and people are going to come see you. Are you going to be a little bit cautious about what you do post? Because that is going to be something that patients and is accessible to public. And so, oh, Dr. Lipa, I don't agree with this stance. You're not going to be my doctor anymore. You should never change who you are, of course, but that might come into play depending on where you practice moving forward. So moving forward, you know, that's a real yeah, thing. I think it's a good conversation and it's part of going into the med, med bikini conversation, but I do think it's a good one because my Instagram and my Facebook are both private. Like you have to add me and I have to add you back. People will find you. I know they will for sure find you. <laughs> they'll find they'll find somebody. But my Twitter is open because someone was like, you need to have med professional Twitter, blah, 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 my friends. And I was like, okay. But it's funny that you mentioned this because I actually tweeted something the other day. I tweeted something and it was like a joke. It was basically how it was like my first couple of days of fellowship. And they asked me what closing music I wanted. And I was basically like, I don't know these people that well to say I want Drake. I was like, I just was like, whatever you want. But I was just, it was like one of those things. It's early in the fellowship. I said, maybe next week, something like, it was like a funny tweet, but I actually went to clinic and I walked into the clinic. I've never had this happen. I walked into clinic. I saw a patient. I came back and was talking to the attending. I walked back into the patient's room. This is two minutes. He was like, oh, that's a funny tweet about Drake. Oh, wow. No, but He looked you up. He He wanted to know about you. Immediately. Like I walked in the room. I walked out in two minutes. He was like, that was a funny tweet about Drake. I think that you have to be aware that's going to happen because so many people are on social media now. And I know people find me and I'll have patients who will be like, oh, we saw you you on your surfboard in a bikini. Now you're my doctor. Yeah. Most of what I've put for my Instagram is it's more related to building a brand kind of just more of myself. Like these are the fun activities that I do, but then I'll post something about hand surgery or this or that. I I don't really put many personal things on there there. You probably wouldn't even know anything about my personal life based on that. I think for some patients, it makes me more human to them. And I've had patients come and say, I live in Santa Cruz, so it's a surfing community anyway. And so they were just like, you understand us because you surf, right? You're like a normal person. And I think I tried to make it really reflective of my personality, but I would agree with you where I was really worried initially about what I posted, especially coming, we've all been to these like higher academic institutions and you try to present yourself a certain way. And for the longest time, 
I wouldn't post anything in a bikini moving forward. We'll talk about that. Well, it gets it to this whole cancel culture. If you present yourself in this way and it's all about perception, if you are going to be this way, then I don't want to be associated with you. And I think it just really does go to show that people are watching and judging constantly. And it makes it very difficult to feel comfortable being yourself in a situation where all eyes are on how you're acting and how you're portraying yourself. And I think, again, all of us being women in orthopedic residencies, I think Harvard was a little bit different because they're so diverse and maybe you didn't feel a certain way there because it's all very inclusive. But I know Rosie was the only female in her residency program. I had many female attendings and I could at least tell all kinds of stories, as I'm sure everybody could, about your experiences with people saying stuff or treating you a certain way or even nurses treating you a certain way because you're a female surgeon. And I think we can all go here and now you're like, no, you can't even post a picture of yourself in a bikini because you you have to fit into this box. And how do we navigate that moving forward? Screw it. I'm going to just be myself and whoever is going to be is going to be okay it's, with it. Oh, so, hey. So that's a good segue into the next. Uh, then we can go into the next movement about the Med Bikini Challenge. Med Bikini was disturbing for several reasons. I think that there was one female author on the paper but the people that were actually screening all of the social media profiles were all men. So there were three men, and those were the only three that were saying what was professional, what was unprofessional, and whatnot. So I think the first part we know, as in the title of this hashtag, Med Bikini, like the only thing that was actually specifically mentioned was in a bikini. If you're in a bikini, like there's not men in a bikini, so we can just, well, there could be, but like most of the time, I would say 99% of people that were probably in a bikini in this, when these social media- Unless were, you're Wusu. Probably, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Unless we do, we do have a co-resident Wusu that would love to be in a bikini. <laughs> and he probably has been in one. So it's just can be inferred. And we know that they are specifically speaking about women. So the fact that women were selected specifically and taught and said that this was unprofessional, but there was not, no mention of men in swim trunks and whatnot. The other issue- I found with the paper that maybe we haven't talked about as much and we could just touch on later is the fact that they said political comments weren't yeah, professional. Exactly. But yet healthcare could be po- political. The things that affect our daily lives and our practices. So it was just altogether the intent of the paper. I could see what they were trying to do, but the impact was terrible. It, the impact it was, was yeah. the execution was terrible. They the failed. impact was terrible. They didn't really think it through. And I think so on this, I did do a post about this. I really thought hard about this because remember I was saying before I would rarely ever post anything in a bikini. But one of the things I was like, I wanted to first, when I saw everybody posting, I wanted to make sure like I read the article just to make sure. I wasn't basing this off of what other people posted. I'm always concerned about two things when I'm posting something. One is falling into groupthink because I am not sort of critically analyzing something yourself. But the other was the cancel culture thing because I'm like, everybody's piling on to these like authors. Let me see first because they're going to have a hard time publishing anything in the future and they're definitely going to feel the repercussions in their career from this. So I'm like, before I like post about this, I want to make sure that I'm not contributing to some cancel culture thing. Like, because there doesn't seem to be any course for redemption anymore. So I just didn't want to do that to somebody. But then the reason when I did it, it made me think about an incident that happened to me. As uh, Erica mentioned, I was the only female during my entire residency. But even before that, there were still like not that many females in all the surgical specialties. So I'm going to talk about an incident, but I'm not going to say which specialty it was or what year of my training it was. Because again, I don't want somebody retroactively to get harassed. There was an incident where I was definitely the junior person and I went in to go see a patient. And the patient had a medical issue. I was with a senior resident. We 
That patient was also extremely drunk. And he was hitting on me while we were managing his injury. But at the time, I just laughed about it because he's drunk, whatever. It's not a big deal. So that's fine. We went to our staff person to like obviously tell the history and, and then talk about the management plan. And the senior resident thought the whole incident was funny and says, oh, by the way, the patient's also in love with Rosie. And so I made a joke about it. And then the staff person turned to me and said, oh, you probably remind him of his favorite stripper. And oh, I was like, like oh, at, this point, at this point, at this point, I'm an MD. And normally, like, uh, my response to a lot of things usually was to, like, either throw a joke back, depending on who the person well, was what or whatever. that's we need to do, right? To survive. To survive. This- you, you learn how to survive. I'm like, and again, I'm saying this, I have nothing against strippers. Hey, you like, <laughs> like I, before anybody cancels me, I'm like nothing against strippers. Like you, if you're making an honest living, great. I don't, like, I have no problem. Lexism <laughs> there is very impressive. Exactly. No, <laughs> seriously, seriously, got nothing. Else. But his intention was uh, that it was derogatory to make me feel bad. And I said, so I said, I'm actually offended by that. Why did you say that to me? And he's like, oh, you wear like skirts and heels every day. Okay, now I always wore skirts to my knees and my heels were black heels. So it wouldn't even matter what I wore really. But like I always wore scent, like professional like clothing in my mind. But I'm a girly girl and I didn't do it for anybody else but me. But that was what he said to me. And so when I saw this like article, I'm just like, you're perpetuating these standards and based on whose morals. And so I was sort of like, I'm going to post about this because I don't want this to continue. You know what? And I think we're talking about structures and institutions. This has a lot to do with the structures and institutions of medicine and surgery, even more specifically, and how conservative it is. And I think that a lot of specialties are doing a lot better than any of the surgical subspecialties in embracing people for who they are, more so and normalizing if you have a life and if you have something that's outside of your profession. So I think like this would not have been written in pediatrics. Like I'm, I'm just being honest, this wouldn't have been written in emergency medicine, but we are so behind in surgery and trying to maintain the status quo and the old boys regime. That's why this was written to say that you need to fit within this mold. And I think at this point, we don't need to change people. We need to change the structure. People aren't broken. The structure, the institution is broken. I was just going to agree with you. I said surgery has traditionally been the province of men. And they still are getting used to it, even though it's been how many years women have been entering the field of surgery. It's still orthopedics is still very underrepresented. And they are trying. I will give a little yeah. bit of credit to AOS because I swear I will follow them. I follow them on Instagram and they are like mm-hmm. posting every every picture of a female surgeon in the Ruth Jackson Society. Yeah. As, OK, there are also other we do <laughs> represent only a small percentage, but just. I appreciate the shout out and whatnot, but it doesn't have to go way to the other end either. We're just people. We just want to be ourselves and listen to Drake and the freaking OR without being harassed. A hundred percent. I think we are slow to change, but I think who knows how much it's going to take. The reality is that we know that people are going to judge us for various things. But I do think that this was like, this was a wake up call to a lot of, because this was, this went pretty broadly in general. I think surgery programs saw this at different folks. Like this is not acceptable to like single out women in a way. And also to just put your entire, whatever, patriarchal, misogynistic, societal views onto everyone that's in this profession. So we'll see how much changes with it. But I think that, like I said, raising awareness in that sense was good because if that article would have continued to go on, then there could have been more articles like it. 
Oh, yeah, exactly. Because I still, all of us probably remember somebody as a senior staff person or senior residence fellows telling you, be careful what you put on social media. So if you just keep perpetuating that sort of that idea that you can't really be a human, a normal human being. But we've not, we've never heard like that men cannot be outside in their swim trunks. Oh, yeah, never. That's like never Never. been a thing. Or being like for ortho, I find a lot of people like, hunting or they have like their rifles or whatever. I'm like, how is that not an approach? Yeah. If you want it, where's the line of what you can and cannot be as a person? Because always getting judged. And especially in ortho, because people like men usually have nice physiques because they whatever athletes, different things. And they're always on, I feel like they're always on social media with their shirt off. Yeah. That's right. For us, I just think the thing is for we can do moving forward yeah. is like just continuing trying to disrupt the perceptions of what it is to be a surgeon. Like one of the hashtag movements that I like is I look like a surgeon. People that have this idea of what a surgeon is supposed to look like and act like, that's when I've really gotten behind and I, I really, really like to see people being themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, yeah, I think that one is, uh, no, I think that one has gone on for years now and it actually, and it spans so many people and like intersectionality in ways, whether it's women or minorities and like mostly women have embraced it, but I see even over and over in different groups. And I've just been like, this actually makes sense. And you're just like, I look like a surgeon. And you know, honestly, when you talk to mentees, like whether they're medical students that are applying, I feel like they search this hashtag and like, oh, look at the different surgeons. I could be like one of that. They are very much are on board with it. And I think that they are empowered by it. So I, I really like that one as well. Yeah, I think I participated in that one too. And it was great to see a lot of female Females. I had females reaching out to say, thank you for showing that I can be an orthopedic surgeon because I've always been told I can't. I'm really petite. And like I had other girls. She's like 4'7". Were... No, I'm 5'2". Come on. <laughs> That's okay. I'm like 5'4". Yeah, yeah. That's so okay. there you go. But there was a lot of like other females that were like very petite. They're like, thank you because people tell me I'm too small to do this, but I can see that's not the case. Yeah, no, you can do it. Which brings us to our next hashtag of oh, yeah. women empowerment. empowerment. <laughs> now, I will notice, Shana, is that I do follow you on social media and I do all your posts. And I haven't noticed that you've posted after this women empowerment. And I don't know if it's because you're in fellowship now and you're too busy <laughs> or you're just taking a break. <laughs> you know what? I think it's a combination of two of those things because one, yeah, fellowship. And then I just like, after that article with the men's bikini came out and then there was an article that, was writing about how less minorities should be at medical school because they don't deserve to be there. It got retracted. Like it was a crazy article. So then I just, I can't, like I'm giving too much, like I can't even post this. Thank you for your opinion, sir. Is noted. Yeah, it was, it was like got retracted, but it was like basically like affirmative action. We don't deserve to be here. All these type of things, but it got retracted and I forgot who wrote it and where it was from. It just started to be a, l- a little bit much. So then I just took a step back and I st- was starting fellowship. But yes, I just like had to stop posting for a second because I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to get upset. Yeah. No, so, your, so, your emotional health is much more important. You're fighting a blind war. <laughs> yeah. You're fighting a yeah. blind war yeah. against, you know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But speak on the women's, I don't think I posted about the women's empowerment hashtag. No, it is. I think it was, it was a black and white photo of women encouraging women. Oh, yes. Type of thing. I did post that. Yes, I did. But you know what? Actually, I thought about this. So many people had sent it to me and I'm like, oh, okay, I should post this. And then I found out behind it, was which country? Um, Turkish. It was the Turkish. Yeah, the yeah. Tur- yeah. 
And then, so I actually, I think I was just posting it to post because I was like, this is a great like thing, like women's empowerment. And then I read behind it and I was like, okay, yeah. What was behind it? Because I don't know. And some people listening might not know. You might know it a little bit better, Shana. I just remember it was something about like Turkish women being killed and that they would post about the women that were killed or something. But I don't know that for a fact. Yes, exactly. I don't know the, all the details, but it was, that was the background. Like Turkish women were being killed, but it first sounds like, for no real reason. For no reason. But then I heard also that that wasn't true. So then I didn't even oh. know what was true anymore. So that was like, it, it got out there and that's so, social media. Exactly. Social media. So it was like one of those things where I'm like, it's real. <laughs> I know. I did post also on the black and white photo and I found myself almost being annoyed that I felt like I needed to. And that's just my first reaction to it. I was like, of course, I want to empower women. I feel very strongly about this. And I come from very strong females and it's just where I've been able to do this. My mother's a Mexican immigrant. She grew up on a pueblo and was immigrated and was the first person to go to med school. And she's a chief of anesthesia. So she like paved the way for our family. And you want to be able to pay homage to that. But like, why do I have to do it publicly or feel like I'm, I feel obligated to do it publicly? It made me really pause and really start thinking about all this other stuff. I was like, here and getting so worked up with all these movements and like, yes, I want to be supporting this and I have to show my support and I have to post something on my story, whatever, just so other people know how I feel. It's like, I'm just going to stop. And instead of posting, I posted anyway, of course, yeah. but instead of posting, like, why don't I just stop? And why don't I call my mom instead? Yeah. And do something that doesn't have to be recognized instead of hashtagging Black Lives Matter and hashtagging Med Bikini. And we're going to start to be the change of being women, minority, orthopedic surgeons. And we're going to be showing what people, what it looks like to be a surgeon and what it looks like to be a woman. And I'm going to appreciate my family and women. I'm going to encourage women in my real life. And I'm going to pause on this social media train because yeah. it's crazy. We can jump on any hashtag, but what's it really doing? What's it really? And that was when I, that's the first point that I was trying to make before with the social, it's some sort of social activism, but is it really doing anything or like educational or are we just doing this to make ourselves feel better? And I'm going to apologize right now because I tagged you for that photo. And it's only because I felt obligated to also, we all, feel you know, like, we all like, felt that way. And I didn't. It means nothing unless meant, someone else can see yeah, it. Yeah. And, and I posted because somebody like did that nomination for me and I'm like, okay, I guess I will. Like it's, it's not a, it's a good thing, but like, I didn't see what it was going to actually do. I didn't either. Yeah, I didn't really get it, but I was like, okay, it's many people tagged me. But the, the one thing about it that actually, to your point, is funny. Like, I went to work the next day, and my co-fellow was like, oh, I saw this picture that you posted. Is that like a model picture? And I'm like, huh? What picture are you talking about? And he, like, didn't even read anything what it was below. About. <laughs> it's Shana being inappropriate again. Right, and I was just like, yeah. <laughs> so my model shot. He was like, was that like a modeling picture? Because it's a black and white photo. And I was just like, oh. No. And then I was just like, felt like the message was lost. I think that happens a lot though, right? Because people are just looking at pictures. I was having a conversation with another friend a little while ago because I was I started to post a lot about this podcast, right? And I'm like, wow, my Instagram is getting like almost no engagement. So not, like, I was used to getting a lot more engagement. I, but if I look back, I had a lot more prettier pictures, like nice scenery. It doesn't make you feel good because you're sort of like, what's the point of any of this? It's so superficial sometimes. And you're like, I don't know, what am I doing with this? Yeah, I agree. All this moving forward, how do you see that social media fitting into your practice? Are you going to be Shana MD and like create another handle or are you going to do something into that? I think that if I decide to have a professional page and a personal page, 
it's interesting because a lot of my friends that are in private practice have a professional page and a personal page for their Instagrams, even with different specialties. I actually have a friend that's like academic medicine that has professional page, personal page. And I don't know. I think it all depends on what I'm trying to brand and where I'm going to go for jobs. If I'm going into academics, I don't really have to market so much, but like then if you have something else you really want to brand, like if it's health equity or whatever it is for you, I can see why someone would do that. Part of me doesn't want to lose like the personal side of my Instagram page to like just being professional. So if I felt like if I really wanted to have a more professional page, I probably would open another one. Because right now it's a little bit mixed, but I just, I don't know. I kind of enjoy like some of my friends from high school and college that like they don't do medicine and I kind of like to have fun with them on my Instagram and whatnot. Yeah. You get to be good because you don't have to identify yourself as, you know, Shane Lipa, the orthopedic surgeon. I know. You identify with so many other things that make up who you are. And and that's why I just decided to leave Twitter for that because I don't really. It was weird also that I feel like as social media progresses and you have the MySpace and the Facebook and, you know, Instagram or Twitter and all these things, like at all these points, there's always a time frame where I'm just like, this doesn't make me feel good anymore. Yeah. I'm like, I'm going to delete this because yeah. this makes me feel crappy. Yeah. And it's almost just like, you're yeah. just moving on to the next thing. It's like, what's the next hook? Or like, what are you going to, what are you going to get your, I know. yeah. TikTok. I refuse TikTok. I've drawn the line. I've drawn the That's line. It. I only have Instagram and Twitter and I open up Twitter when I started the podcast and all there is is things about the podcast. And even Instagram, I've just made it almost professional. Like I, I don't feel great about social media, but I like engaging a little bit on Instagram with my friends. Like, yeah, but everybody's looking at you, Rosie, and yeah. it's going to go with all of us because we're just going to be in that situation moving forward. Are you guys both in private practice? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've left that. I'm doing something entirely different this year. I basically, I'm working for a hospital like very like part-time, but then I did a startup. I was going to say, do you feel that most, a lot of people within orthopedics are starting, are doing like these pages, like marketing on Instagram and things? Yeah. Yes. I feel like it's been like been more and more prevalent even like over the past couple of years. Do you know what so. a lot of people are doing is TikTok, using TikTok. For orthopedics? I didn't know that. For like their different, different practices, not just orthopedics. I, I see a lot of like physicians out there on Instagram. But what kind of videos do they have? <laughs> well, just kind of they'll do little musical skits or whatever, but it's going to be about a topic. It'll be about a topic in practice or something. I have a professional account that I've, I think I've only posted one picture on and it, it you put yourself out there by putting your x-rays oh, or, right. and you putting your out there for judgment. And so it's really difficult to know when you're like, oh, I must have hit this out of the park. I'm a hundred percent happy with everything single about this because you're opening up yourself to that scrutiny and judgment. And I found it very hard to go there as a young surgeon right away because I want to, I don't know, it's just kind of like you're trying to perfect your craft and whatnot, but it is important in marketing. And that's how people get information now is, is Instagram, social media. So it is challenging moving forward, but I remember we talked about that, right? Because orthopedics is different because you see the results on the x-rays. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. You could just talk at like general surgery. You're not necessarily going to see what happened inside. May uh, maybe if you do a scopic video, but for the most part, our evidence is right there. Like <laughs> Whether you did a good job or not. I have a friend that's in sports who's like posting her results with this patient doing a single leg squat, a very serious thing. And I'm just like, yeah, the results are right there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Look at this patient back running again. So like, yeah, it's, it's pretty intense. 
Yeah. It also takes an extraordinary amount of time to yeah. do it well, I think. I know. You have to, I think I, there would be no way I could keep up with it. That's also another thing. That's another thing. <laughs> people hire people, though. I just get exhausted. Like, I'm a very much an extrovert and I enjoy social media, but I just get exhausted with it. Yeah. Sometimes. Again, you you probably have other things going on in your life besides yeah. just which, being which is, uh, which, is, which, which is, is good. good. <laughs> let's put the phones away. <laughs> that's helping. And let's all do something good for humanity. Yeah. And those are Rosie's words. Yeah, that's actually how I was. Uh, this is how I wanted to end it off because I had been thinking about this a lot that there's so much going on in the world that's not good. So maybe a challenge to everybody would to be do one good thing for humanity every day, whether it's small or big, even like a smile for somebody who needs one or whatever, but don't post about it. Don't attach any ego about it. Just do something good. And then maybe you'll feel good at the end of the week. Someone will do that for somebody and else somebody will without do that for having to else. document it. So that's your challenge. Don't document it. Just do good things for humanity. <laughs> do something good every day, and <laughs> we'll change the world. We'll change our world. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Hey. Yeah. At least you'll feel better about yourself, and that's important too. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, Shana, thank you so much. This was like such a fun episode. Thank you for like it's so good to see you and say hi and catch up. Thank you for having me. Some laughs, some serious times, some pearls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good luck on your fellowship year and stuff. And it gets yeah. real. You're going to be finally done slash no. just slash slash it's uh it, you're really just beginning. You're you're finally done all this work to I just know. start. <laughs> <I know. laughs> but it's no, it's a huge accomplishment. And then you go back to being the junior partner or junior faculty all over again. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but it'll be good. You'll rock it. It's a You'll huge accomplishment. It. It's awesome. Well, yeah. thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. This show is being produced by StudioPod. And for more information, go to studiopodsf.com.